Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, which is full of big tentacles, a cuckoo clock with a bird that tells you when you're going to die, proof aliens exist, and a drawing of what Peter Griffin from Family Guy would look like in real life. I'm Mikey McCaller. And I'm Roxy Polk. Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing that happened to both of us this week. Roxy, what went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Well, I was going to say about the surgery I got on my leg, but now that you brought up the idea of Peter Griffin in real life, I'm going to say that. That's scary. You, you know what I'm talking about? Those like internet drawings where it's like, it's got the same proportions as Peter Griffin, but like porous skin and... Yes. Yeah, it's gross. The Simpsons ones are truly terrifying, but... Yeah, that shit's gross. Oh. You well, hear what about you, Mikey? The scariest thing that happened to me this week, I um, this is a, a positive thing, but I did go back to the gym this week after Ooh. the global pandemic. Okay, I'm scared how you're going to turn this into a negative, because well, that sounds really great. Well, a lot so of scary things happened to me at the gym. <laughs> okay. I was... You're in the locker room, right? You're very vulnerable. You're in a, a, a naked position. Uh, a man creepily walked past me and said, Hello. Like, as I was changing, (laughs) I was like, I don't know him. And so that was weird. And then as I, like, as he went past, like, down the hall, deeper into the locker room, I saw he was just saying it to everybody. He's like, hello. Hi, guys. Hello. (laughs) He's just saying hi to everybody. Was this guy, like, making eye contact with you while he did it? Yeah. Okay, that's- No, he was walking, like, looking straight at the- into the eyes, like, had just showered, so he was, like, freshly dressed. So it it just feels like he was- uh, cataloging us for his upcoming murder vacation. He was just having a, a week where he's going to get in as many murders as he can, and God bless him. Well, I guess maybe you should be uh, on the lookout then for being followed by very friendly people saying hello uh-huh. and looking right at you with dead eyes. There's, a, there's definitely a point where friendliness is frightening. It can be, yes, if it is taken to the extreme. Yeah. And anytime- I wonder if it was like he thought that if he just walked past you and didn't say anything, that would be creepier. So he was like, I know what I'll do. I'll say hello and then keep going. <laughs> Sometimes you overcorrect for creepiness. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, God, here he is. Here he is, our boy Demon Bot, clomping on over. Mikey and Roxy, this week's assignment was the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lyne and starring Tim Robbins, Elizabeth Pena, and Danny Aiello. Did you watch the film? I did. I know I did. Yeah, I did. I did too. So that's two for two. We both watched it. Good. Then you may keep your souls. Roxy, high five. Okay, good. Yeah. For now. Uh, we every time. Thought we were out of it. Every time. Every time we're out. <laughs> he pulls us back in. <laughs> Roxy, it's true. We did watch Jacob's Ladder. We sure did. And so now for anybody who hasn't seen the movie since it came out, <laughs> let's do a little plot recap. All right, let's do it. Okay. So we open in Vietnam where Jacob Singer and his rough and tumble buddies wait to launch an offensive. Suddenly, everyone starts suffering from convulsions and passing out, causing Jacob to uh, run into the jungle where he is sadly stabbed by a bayonet. And bam, that's when Jacob wakes up on a subway car, seemingly having dreamt himself a little flashback. As he gets off the train, Jacob sees a tentacle popping out of a homeless man's coat and then discovers that the subway is locked. Then he almost gets hit by a train. Things not going well for old Jacob. It sure isn't. 
until he gets back home and he takes a shower with his all-time gorgeous girlfriend, Jezebel, and then flips through some pictures that his ex-wife sent him. And one of them happens to be of his dead son. You know, the one who died before Jacob went to Vietnam. Jezebel, of course, burns all of the pictures because she doesn't like dead sons. <laughs> this is when Jacob starts to lose his grip on reality. He sees horned monsters lurking throughout the city. Cars are trying to run him over. The doctor he's gone to for years seemingly never existed. But also, he died in a car crash. It's a very funny scene where he's like, no, I've been to this doctor for years. They're like, sir, he doesn't exist. And somebody else is like, uh, but also, he died in a car crash. A lot going on. Like a month ago. <laughs> All the while, Jacob is flashing back to his time in Vietnam with one memory triggered by his chubby cherub of a chiropractor, Louis. <laughs> After a night out at a party where he is both told he is already dead by a palm reader and watches his girlfriend Jezebel get banged by the devil himself or some sort of demon, uh, Jacob comes down with a horrible fever. Jezebel acts fast and makes him a life-saving ice bath with help from all of his neighbors, but not before Jacob passes out and wakes up with his old family, including ex-wife Sarah and all three of the kids, including the dead son. Jacob's buddy from Vietnam, Paul, gives Jacob a call. He's got something demony going on. Over drinks, Paul describes having the exact same hellish visions that Jacob has been experiencing. When Jacob walks Paul to his car, Paul puts in the keys to his car and blammo, that car explodes, baby. A classic cover-up move. Someone is after these men who are seeing demons in the world. <laughs> Here, Jacob meets the rest of his Vietnam buddies at the wake, and they realize they're all going through the same demon business. Something terrible must have happened in Vietnam, and the army must have made them into test subjects for some kind of experiment. The gang goes to see a lawyer, who was initially excited to take their case, until a few days later, everyone except Jacob recants their whole story. Who got to them, and why? Conspiracies afoot. Whoever is after Jacob, well, boy, they get to him, too. A car pulls up besides Jacob, two men stuff him in a car threatening him if he keeps talking about the military, see? Mwah, see? Jacob rolls out of the car, hurting his back, and is brought to a hospital. And it's just Silent Hill. He goes to Silent Hill for brain surgery. <laughs> it's hard to tell if it's real or not, but boy, this is scary. <laughs> Luckily, Luis the chiropractor saves Jacob from this Silent Hill hell hospital and brings him back to his office. There, Lewis tells Jacob about the Christian philosopher Meister Eckhart, who describes the distinction between angels and demons as nothing more than perspective. He says, The only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of life. Your memories, your attachments, they burn them all away. But they're not punishing you. They're freeing your soul. So if you're frightened of dying and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. Finally, Jacob meets with a chemist who says he made some crazy drugs for the army and one of his concoctions called the ladder because it sends people all the way down to their base primal selves was tested on Jacob and his platoon. They all went wild, killing each other. Total bummer. Then Jacob realizes what we already knew, which was he never made it out of Vietnam. He died from that bayonetting, but it was a slow and painful death that took quite some time. So this was basically his journey to getting there. So he goes back to his old house, the house he shared with Sarah and his three sons. He sees not a demon, but an angel, his dead son. 
and they go to heaven together as Jacob finally succumbs to the injuries uh, from back in Vietnam. Doctors working on him say that in death, Jacob looks almost peaceful. Aw. And that's it. A happy ending. Jacob's ladder. <laughs> uh, sure. It's <laughs> one interpretation. Roxy, did you like this movie? Uh, I did. It's very interesting. I watched it initially when I was in high school and didn't remember a lot of it. Like, I kind of remembered the first half of it, and then the second half I hadn't remembered except for, like, bits and pieces. Hmm. So it was really cool rewatching this with an adult perspective, mm-hmm. and also I kept just... I told you this before, but I kept trying to pick out, like, oh, which things was Silent Hill inspired mm-hmm. by and decided to incorporate. There's <laughs> quite a few things. Yeah. Which was si- very neat. Silent Hill, a video game both you and I love a lot, clearly just janked some scenes directly from this movie, which, god damn it, I respect. Yeah, they took a lot of inspiration, and then for, like, one through four is, like, original Team Silent, and then just straight up in, I think it was the first American-made one, they took that entire gurney scene, and we're just like, mm. we're just gonna put that whole thing in mm. the game. <laughs> also, there's, like, this shifting okay. between, like, reality and, like, the alt world, the, like, demon yes. world that I think Silent Hill does a lot, but is also, like... Super scary to me because it just feels like you have no control. Just like the fact that you could like, I mean, I I think about like zombie movies, how there's always the character who's like, let's just stay in the basement. We'll be safe down there. And then somebody else who's like, no, we'll be sitting ducks. We have to get out and escape. It's like, well, what if you go sit in the basement and then the basement just turns into hell? (laughs) Like, it's, it's such a ripping away of like your context and your understanding of the world. It's terrifying. Yeah. I will say one thing I can't tell if I like about this movie or not. I am somebody who never guesses the twist of movies. I'm, like, very dumb about that. I feel like I will watch a movie and, like, always be shocked. And then, like, I I think about the show Lost, which I'm re-watching right now. It's my favorite TV show of all time. Mm. But, like, Uh I remember watching that with friends, and then there would be, like, little hints in the background, and they'd be like, oh, you didn't notice that? Yeah, Jack was in that scene, even though it was Claire's flashback. Like, and I was like, oh, no, totally missed it. No idea what's going on. It feels like Jacob's Ladder was specifically designed for people like me who don't see twists so we could feel <laughs> like we got one. Like, it felt like it was real obvious what the twist is, right? Did you know that was coming? I did watching it this time around, but I don't think I did the first time I watched it. So I think I was a little more disoriented, maybe. Mm. Going and knowing like what that twist is at the end makes it make a lot more sense Mm -hmm. i guess but so how how did you feel about it did it feel too disorienting or like very obvious it felt very obvious to me it reminded me of i remember watching like an old twilight zone episode where it was like a woman was in bandages like her face was covered up in bandages and they were like Mm, okay do you know this one where they're like the surgery was unsuccessful you're you're hideous and then when they like she thinks she's hideous and she keeps telling everybody she's hideous right and everyone's like, I can't do anything to help you. Right. <laughs> and we never see anybody else's faces, just like the camera is cutting them off. And then the big reveal yeah. is they cut off the bandages and she's history's most beautiful woman. And then all of the doctors and everything have like pig faces. Oh, wait, this is a different one then. Never mind. I was thinking of a Beyond Belief episode that ripped off that episode. Never oh. mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also cool. But that was like such a thing where like, I was like, oh, yeah, they're not showing these doctors faces because the twist is going to be that they're monsters. Mm-mm. And it's like. Because it was the Twilight Zone, it was in the 50s, like, we didn't have that vocabulary for twists yes, yet. Yes, yeah. And so this felt a lot like the idea that, like, a character was dead all along is almost like a trope now. Yeah. And so th- 
probably when this movie came out, it was certainly like less. It was not as overdone. It, it feels like memed. one of the movies that kind of established it. It also feels like it was trying to say something with it. And I don't know if back when it initially came out, like people were completely like surprised by it or not, but it felt like instead of it being a cheap twist, there was a reason for it, I guess. Yeah. Like it felt structured in a way where it didn't feel like a cheap reveal. Um, whereas I've seen countless movies in which it is a very cheap right. reveal. <laughs> I, I, I get that like that is a standard like fan theory. Like if a character ever falls asleep mm. in a movie or video game or TV show or is ever like shot and then wakes up, there's mm-hmm. always going to be a fan theory that like, oh, actually, that was when the character died. And then from then po- that point on, it was them on a journey to the afterlife kind of thing. Yeah. That's like my favorite <laughs> kind of fan theory because you can do it like, well, you know, when Tommy fell off of his high chair in this episode of Rugrats, from then on, the rest of the series is him <laughs> struggling to <laughs> grasp <laughs> what had happened. Secret Rugrats lore. <laughs> So I don't know. I I like it just fine. I, I'm very intrigued. But like it, this movie feels like it has one big idea that I really like this notion that like uh, to cling to your life makes the, the, the things pulling you to death look like horrifying demons. But when you are calm and relaxed, you get to see them as your wife and your child who have gone on before you. And it's like a peaceful thing. I like that idea a lot. And it felt like it was kind of building on that. But it didn't ever scare me in a way that like i didn't know what was going on because i felt like oh yeah this guy's already dead i don't know it kind of keeps me at a distance from him it makes Mm. me not really invest in his journey um the closest i got so you're more of an observer i guess yeah instead of kind of like in his shoes right exactly yeah he doesn't know what's going on and i do and it's something that i talk about all the time in movies and tv shows (laughs) like i want to know exactly what the character i'm being asked to empathize with knows because then I can be them, then I can be on the ride with them, as opposed to like, I don't know, I'm not huge on the dramatic tension where like, uh, the killer is revealed, and uh, the protagonist doesn't know they're walking into a trap. It's like, I don't care. Yeah, like having more audience on omnipotence, so that you're like screaming at the main character, I can't stand that either. It kind of drives me crazy. Yeah. Because then it just makes the character look like they're an idiot. And yeah, again, like you said, it's harder to kind of like empathize and be with them for the ride Mm -hmm. that they're experiencing. Because you're just like, how can you not know that? Yeah. <laughs> like, the narrative told me that. Why didn't it tell you? Yeah, I guess that's that's something kind of interesting. Like, people never think of themselves as idiots. But, like, so therefore, when you see a character acting in a way that is idiotic, even if you, like, are only thinking of them as idiots because you have information they don't have access to, you're like, mm-hmm. then you're not them. Yeah, it kind of takes you out of it in in a way. Yeah. Okay. Especially if you are supposed to be embodying their perspective. It's not like changing between multiple characters or something. Mm. But also, I don't think this movie was necessarily asking us to like bond with Jacob yeah. necessarily, but Yeah, I totally don't think it, it was. It, it does either. make like the dead son stuff hit less hard. It I can see that. It feels like maudlin that like, oh, he's got a dead son and he went to Vietnam and he got sick. Like, <laughs> it's just like bad things <laughs> stacking up that almost seem funny as opposed to like emotional. I can see that maybe. I think when he first sees the picture of his son and like the acting and the way that he performs that mm. of just like the shock of seeing it, that really got me. Um, I'd say all of the instances after that, not so much, but I'd say that initial one yeah, I was felt, pretty well I done. I felt very bad with how funny I thought the scene where his son, like, rides his bike into traffic was. It was like, <laughs> I mean, 
this is going to be our second Beyond Belief Factor Fiction reference. It felt like <laughs> one of their scenes where they were just like, oh, what if a... Did a man really have his son ride into traffic and then come back when the son left him a hundred dollars that paid the electricity bill? Find out when we return. <laughs> it felt like it's so hokey and silly that like, oh, just like so glumly tragic <laughs> that like, I, yeah, this isn't real. Especially because the bike is in traffic. And so the bike would even stand out more than like the child would. So. Uh-huh. Especially in New York, which is a very... Well, wait, is it New York? It is New York, isn't it? I think they're in New York, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's a very pedestrian-heavy city. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah, he still got hit. (laughs) Right. And also, they're just, like, cutting to, like, the bike, like, on its side, like, the tire rolling. And it's just like... Yeah, so they didn't have to have, like, a kid stunt actor. (laughs) It's like the kid just got fucking creamed. (laughs) Like, the kid's, like, on the windshield of this car and it just left the bike underneath it was almost like he got knocked out of his shoes (laughs) oh mikey yeah (laughs) i think it also just makes it cheaper for effects probably i don't know what the budget for this movie was oh yeah yeah you just have to like mess up a bike then and show it from a certain (laughs) it wasn't that much more than a bicycle yeah because there aren't like child stunt actors unless maybe you had like a uh a smaller person who who was a stunt actor. Right. You so they would have like, had to like have a prop maybe and it probably would have looked really worse. You need a Vern Troyer-esque person who can like, uh, I just rewatched, can I tell you? I just rewatched those oh, Austin Powers yeah. movies. Oh my God. That was not what I was expecting you to say. Okay. Very funny. Don't, Are you sure? Don't work today. <laughs> would not be I a lot. Like, don't yeah. think they would. A lot of, <laughs> lot of sexual like they- harassment being played as jokes, but like Mini-Me, uh, who was played I'm by sure it's very Vern much Troyer. a time capsule. Oh, okay. Like, uh, very funny. What a what a funny concept. That they're just like a little baby version of the ba- bad guy. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that's what Vern Troyer was doing before that was acting as Macaulay Culkin when he was getting killed in modeling scenes for Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Did he also go on to help him with Home Alone and all of those stunt scenes? Yeah, yeah. He was the one who, uh, whenever Macaulay Culkin had to climb up high to put a paint can over a door, they had Vern Troyer do it because, God forbid, <laughs> let Macaulay Culkin get hurt. Coddled that He's boy. a child. <laughs> he grew up with no toughness in the world. <laughs> well, I guess we kind of already dipped into it then, like the, the big idea of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, is like the fear of death and letting go, kind of accepting your death. Um, right. But I think also it was trying to say something about the Vietnam War and like the American military mm-hmm. and just kind of how fucked up and pointless war is in general as well. Just some bullshit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you don't really get an answer about if the drugs that that one guy talks about are real or not, because you you only see who stabbed him. Mm-hmm. Like, later in the movie. And it could have just been that, like, in the confusion, he uh, got stabbed by a friendly fellow soldier. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they were on drugs or something. Because I think the last line of the movie talks about how they were doing experiments with certain things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess that that part is kind of left up to interpretation. What did you think about that? Yeah, it definitely felt like I was kind of getting a sense that, like, the movie not definitively answering that question feels to me like maybe the point like Hmm. whether they were guinea pigs or not it's like they kind of were guinea pigs just by the way they were sent out into this horrific situation 
Yeah. So yeah, you're right. There's definitely something going on here with like, man, war, what is it good for? Which is, well, <laughs> again, that like- first scene, I- <laughs> That part, a guy gets his leg blown off, and the way that they did it, like, with the practical effects and everything, it was very well done mm-hmm. and very gnarly, and it just kind of hits home how pointless that whole conflict was. Yeah. Man, I don't like this war business. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> it's, again, this is kind of like, I mean, when was this movie made? The 80s? 1990. 90? Yeah. I yeah. Gu- I guess we were- So it was probably, like, We were pretty deep into it there, but, like- Thinking about, I guess the 70s were when they started making movies like this, but like in the 50s, how war movies were like glorifying Propaganda. war and yeah. telling us how noble and good our conflicts were that we should get into. Like this idea that like, hey, maybe we should re-examine war. I, I can't remember if I've made this point on the podcast before, but I realized at some point that like every book we were asked to read in high school, like for English mm-hmm. class, was always about just like, it was really about the war. I, I know this is a book ostensibly about two boys at a prep school, but the shadow of World War II looms. <laughs> like, it's always about what we did to these poor children, sending them off to war. I, I don't know. I'm not super moved anymore by the idea that, like, is war bad? Because it's like, I know. It feels a little route at this point. In the same way that it feels like, I know what's going on. You're not going to surprise me by saying he's been dead the whole time. It's like, you're not going to move me or make me think any differently about war by saying like kind of inhumane don't you think i'd be like yeah it is yeah i guess it's for like people who haven't reached that conclusion yeah yet um or for people who haven't seen that sort of thing portrayed in a narrative mm-hmm. yet especially i guess you brought up that as as a kid you were told to read books like that and i think it's especially good to like understand that early on uh-huh. <laughs> i suppose so they were like do the kids get it do they get it now what about now do yeah, they do they get don't. it yet how about this time we still don't it's also well, just like the easiest metaphor you can make any conflict bad. between again <laughs> I'm, i keep talking about a separate piece because it's the only book i really remember from high school but like this idea that like two boys their conflict can also be a metaphor for the conflicts of war. And could they be friends normally? Or should they be? Would they be able to acknowledge the the dark truth that's looming that they will have to go to war soon? Oh, wow. Huge. Huge questions to be asking. <laughs> Shut up, a separate piece. Why did I, I didn't to, even know what that book is. Why didn't, I, why didn't I get to read fucking Lord of the Rings? I still haven't read Lord of the Rings. That's a problem with that's my- a much bigger uh ask i guess i would assume it's a bigger book yeah but it's better <laughs> like, <laughs> have you read it though do you know i i guarantee you listen having not read a separate piece in years and having never read lord of the rings i would put a thousand dollars that i and 90 percent of the world would like lord of the rings <laughs> better than a separate piece they would like it better, but would it take more time to do that shitty homework is that's, the question that's, that I would want. You'd have to write about what Frodo's fucking second breakfast means. <laughs> yeah. What is the symbolism behind the answer, it? The answer is nothing. It's world building and it's creative. Is that enough for you, Miss Grivna, my high school 10th grade teacher? <laughs> is that really her name? Yeah. Yeah, she was cool. <laughs> Mikey, if you think that you can escape fiction with the metaphor that war is bad by reading Lord of the Rings, I have some bad news for you. Was there anything else that kind of poked up? T- 
about this movie to you. I I felt like there was a lot of gaslighting incidents that stressed me out. Him, yeah, they're really him knowing his doctor existed and being told that his doctor doesn't exist. It's just like it's that same fury of just like don't tell me what is and isn't real. I know it's real. Yeah, especially because he is like a Vietnam vet at this point, and like there's this really condescending older lady. Mm-hmm. Who's like, I'd never heard of that. Like, her tone mm-hmm. for somebody who works in the health industry is just extremely condescending and rude and unhelpful mm-hmm. and, like, just downright unpleasant. Yeah. And the fact that she's and a demon. And even while she's searching through. Like. Yes. Yeah. Clears it up for it us. It makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and, like, while she's searching through the file, she's like, I haven't even had my lunch yet. And it's like, lady, <laughs> that's not the point here. <laughs> that I will say that is something the movie does really well is, like, these little subtle moments where you're like, Whoa, was that a fucking demon horn coming out of her head? Like, these little, like, I feel like I was rewinding a couple of times. There's maybe a scene where he's being chased by a car, and it oh, might have yeah. just been my imagination, but I thought it was being driven by a monster, so I, like, rewound, and then it was just, like, it, but it kind of had me looking for those clues. It was there not- There are, like, creatures in the back seat. I think. Was it being driven by a monster, too, or could you even tell? I, I don't think it was, but just the fact that the movie okay. had me, like- paranoid and looking around for it is yeah is probably its best example of putting me in the character's shoes this guy is looking hard to see if there are any threats coming <laughs> after him yeah. and all of a sudden i am too well i mean legit there were oh there was a demon in the back seat that looked at him as he jumped away and survived from it and then as he looks back it's got that head shake thing going on that silent hill definitely uh-huh. was like yeah let's use that <laughs> dude i want to play silent hill now what a game the so, like, that scene where he sits down on his couch and he realizes what is up, like, right before he goes up the stairs, mm-hmm. that just reminded me so much of the, the scene with James and Mary's letter in the videotape, like, at the end of Silent Hill 2. I, I've never actually played it. I've never actually finished Wah. it. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you gotta do it. You made me make that noise. I was so surprised. <laughs> you just made the first half of the disturbed noise. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> No, it sounds great. Mikey. It sounds like Mary gets a letter, and uh, 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 you love to see it. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. That realization scene just, it it really hit for me. And I think a lot of the way that the aged apartments and stuff that you see in those games, like with uh, 2, 3, and 4, I feel like they took a lot from kind of this aged, like 1990s, mm. kind of like musty, yellow, sort of colored uh, yeah. interiors. No, that's a good point. Like, Silent Hill... Feels very 90s-y. Yeah. I mean, they were, the first one came out in like, what was it, 97, 98? Mm-hmm. And then two, three, and four were like in the 2000s. I think four might have come out in like 2004, 2005, maybe? What a bleak worldview Silent Hill has and also Jacob's Ladder 2004. Has. 2004. Okay, I was close. Yeah, what was the original Silent Hill? There, there's out? a lot of, for me, like, what are we- 99! Okay, so it was a little bit later than I thought. Still carrying that early 90s aesthetic of, like, Twin Peaks, I feel like, looks like it. Like, just desaturated and grimy. Yeah. I have this feeling, watching this movie, like, and and thinking about Silent Hill makes me think about it, too. It's like, what are we hoping to get to when we get out of Silent Hill? Our Mm. still glum gray world? Like, Jacob's Ladder, he's like, what is he trying to get back to? Like, he's trying to escape these demons so he can go back to his dead son and bad job at the post office? Like, Yeah, and like his divorced wife. Right. (laughs) Although, I will say, that girl that he's with, Jezebel, 
Oh, yeah. History's most beautiful woman. Couldn't believe- I was she, just like, Oh, man. She's such like- uh, Again, Silent Hill, she's very similar to Mary, in, or not Mary, uh, Maria in Silent Hill 2 as well. Yeah. Like, if you play Silent Hill 2, you'll be like, oh, I see it. I see it. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, she's very much like kind of an idealized version of James's wife mm-hmm. who kind of does everything that he, that, that Mary like couldn't do well, she, of, to an extent. I mean, she also just feels like clearly the hell version of his wife. Yes, yeah. Which is yeah. A, a funny, like, shifting back and forth sort of situation to have. Like, like you have your, uh, the angel version of your wife who is nice and calm. And, like, every time we see her, like, I, I think it only happens once when they, like, put him in the bathtub. They put Jacob in the bathtub and, like, to mm. cool him down from his fever. And he wakes up with Sarah and it's just, like, yeah. very cool, like, blue tones. She seems nice. She's, like, forgiving and thinking about him a lot. And then... Yeah, and they're in bed, so it's, like, more comforting, yeah. kind of, and, like, soft in general. Versus, like, Jezebel is straight up having sex with the devil. Yes. It's like, <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah, get it, girl. <laughs> also, the, hey, I mean, just the name wants. Jezebel is, like, yes. a biblical sinner. Like, she is just, like, sex yeah. incarnate. Oh. And they mentioned that before because all of his kids are also named after, like, biblical names. Right. So that could be, like, another thing mm-hmm. kind of pointing to uh, the fact that he was dead all along, I guess. Because I, I don't know if they really explicitly state if he was, like, Catholic or Christian or what. But naming mm-hmm. all of your kids after biblical names, you probably are. That's Yeah, that feels <laughs> like a very devout thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> biblical names, huh? <laughs> Too long and serious. Roxy, do you have a a question for me? I sure do. Mikey, if you were trapped in a near-death state in a fluctuating existence, who would take the place of your angel that would guide you towards the right decision? Like the chiropractor guy, is he Louis or Lewis? Lewis, yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't really talk about him. Chubby cherub, (laughs) yeah. Chubby cherub, he goes to to his chiropractor and he gets like his back aligned and it's a little angel man who's trying to help him along. Mine would 100% be the nice lady who works at the Chipotle I go to. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) She's clearly like the manager. It's like if I ever go there and she's not there, I know that they're going to give me like little half scoops of chicken and it's going to be a bullshit burrito. But if she's there, (laughs) like they're like under her watchful eye. They're like, oh, chicken? Sure. That you get a heaping scoop. She's watching. And she's like, she's nice. She's kind. She's... In her mid fifties, <laughs> I don't know uh-huh. her name, <laughs> um, but she's the only one who like is good at her job at Chipotle at the Chipotle I go to rather. And God bless her, she would one hundred percent guide me to heaven. She would be the one who guided you. Has she ever told you a quote by Meister Eckhart? No, but she keeps writing them on the bags when she hands mm. me my to go order. <laughs> okay, you might want to. <laughs> I want to be on the lookout then, I guess. <laughs> Do you have somebody in your life who would be your guiding angel? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, it's me. My art. Yes, Mikey. It's would it be you me? this whole time. Yeah, I'll be your. I'll be your angel, Rox. I got you. <laughs> I think it would probably be actually an art mentor of mine here in town. I don't. Should I say his full name? I don't. We'll just just say Steve L. He'll know who he is. Stevel. <laughs> Stevel. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Uh, he's just like a really kind, understanding, generous person who has been, I don't know, mentoring artists for over a decade at this point. Oh, wow. And he's just, he's just a good dude. One of the goodest dudes I know. That's um, sweet. And so 
I would definitely take any advice he said mm-hmm. extremely to heart. So if he said some sort of cryptic quote at me, I'd know, okay. It's like, okay. just let go of your dead son, Roxy. And you'd be like, all right. Okay. All right. I'll Ready do it. Go. <laughs> Roxy, on a scale of one to nine, not a scale of one to 10, because te- the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement. How likely okay. is this movie's series of events to happen? I'd say a nine because we're all going to die someday. <laughs> I, I also said nine. Yeah. I, I think this is a, probably exactly what happens. Yep. <laughs> we'll find out someday. <laughs> yeah. Sooner than later, we hope. <laughs> I'm doing fine. Yeah. No, sure, I, I, yeah, that's, Mikey, do we need to have a talk? Uh, please. Off, off podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I definitely think like this is as good an explanation as any as to what happens in the moments before we die. Yeah, because I can't imagine, like, unless you are fully prepared for it, you're going to want to try and fight as much as you can, mm-hmm. I would assume. Also, like, even if you look at it from, like, a, a non-magic sort of view, <laughs> like, a not, like a deeply atheist sort of view, point of view, it's like, yeah, your brain would fire off a bunch of chemicals, you'd probably be hallucinating. Like, that's the way that as your body shuts down, you are interacting with the world. You're, of course, going to be, like, remembering your dead son you're of course gonna be remembering your wife and the hot girl from the post office like that makes sense to me as as the kind of visions we would have as we're dying like nothing felt like i don't know untrue as yeah as somebody who's never died before <laughs> it all <laughs> rang true to my experiences well yeah i would assume that you would kind of like think on the things that made a bigger impact or were more important to you because that's kind of like what you can grasp at mm-hmm. to like kind of think of so that that makes a lot of sense to me yeah, how cool um, is it going to be when we uh when we do finally uh, die and <laughs> get to well, see our dead sons again? <laughs> I guess we'll find out when we get there, Mikey. <laughs> uh, Roxy, last week we made a bet. We sure did make a bet. We and it was the wrong bet. <laughs> Let's just say that right now. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen the movie since high school, and I think your perception of it was like, "Hey, war movie, sure." Right. So like. I think beforehand it made sense to choose yeah, this, but yeah. uh, afterwards. Now in retrospect, we did a classic kill count bet. We asked how many people would die in this movie. I said eight. Roxy, you said- And I, yeah, I said five. You said five. God, who knows? Because we don't know what reality yeah. is in this movie. We don't yeah. know who's dying. We don't see a lot of named character deaths. Um, and in that opening scene, it's kind of really vague and chaotic on purpose. So it's really hard to tell, like, is that person legit dead or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> People are, like, foaming at the mouth and passing out, which seems like yeah, pretty yeah, so, dead. Like, are they dead or just tripping? Or but then we see them later know. in the movie, but also we don't know. Like, I mean, I guess it's Because it's in the alternate it's, reality. Yeah, it's in his mind. So, so uh, we, we did have three named characters die. We had... Um, the man who comes to uh, the the friend who comes to see Jacob, he yeah, gets in his car gets, and explodes. Yeah, uh-huh. um, we have Jacob himself, and we have Macaulay yep. Culkin, yeah, the canonical dead son. Even though like he died before the movie, so like does right. that even count? But like we see him die, but also it's in his mind. That's true. That's why this is a screwed up. Yeah. Bet. So it's like how how much of that is like memory, and how much of that is like the illusion, and how much of that is. Like, reality. Because I think before he gets bayoneted, the scene that you see, like, with his friends foaming at the mouth, that seems like that's still probably reality. So they were having a reaction to something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you don't know if they died. Right. 
So we got to save these kill count bets for like the clear cut, like scream. Like, when it's, yes, when we it's need a it movie, for slasher movies. <laughs> when it's a movie about killing teens, we can do a kill count. Otherwise, we got to do like how many uh, demon heads? How many demon heads in this movie? I don't know what the answer would have been to that either. That would have been easier to like actually count at least. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, as we sometimes do here in the scary basement, this week we're gonna play. We're gonna play a little game. Okay, I like games. You know, I like games. I like a game too. Let's play a game. This game is called Power Rank Aphobia. We played it before. I don't know if we called it that <laughs> at that time. I don't think it had a cool name yet. <laughs> uh, Power Rank Aphobia. Here's how this game is gonna work. We have five random phobias, and Roxy and I are going to rank them from nonsensical to most dangerous. So the way that works is like, if you have a phobia of getting stabbed because you live with a murderer, that's like a dangerous phobia. That's like a real phobia. You should be afraid of that. If you have a phobia of like the number 13, like that is a real phobia, but it's like, it's not something that tangibly will be affecting you, will be harming you in the near future. So we've got five random phobias here. We're going to rank them from most scary to least scary in terms of how much they can actually affect us in real life. I will read them off real quick. You ready, Roxy? Yep. Okay. These phobias are radiophobia, which is the fear of x-rays. I may have gotten this wrong. I can't tell if this is an I or an L that I wrote down. Alchemophobia, which is the fear of sharpness, knives, or needles. Oh, yeah. How do you pronounce that? That is a tricky looking one. <laughs> really? Just tell me. Is it AI or AL? AI. AI. So then it would be eichmophobia. I don't know. Eichmophobia. Fear of sharpness, needles, and knives. Uh, the third phobia, papaphobia. That's the fear of the Pope. Uh, papaphobia. Papaphobia? <laughs> papaphobia. Papaphobia, can you hear me? Uh, the next phobia, halitophobia. That's the fear of bad breath. Halitophobia. Halitosis. Some people get halitosis, and if you're afraid of it, it's halitophobia. The last phobia is gymnophobia. That's the fear of nudity. Gymnophobia is the fear of nudity. So, Roxy, go ahead and rank them. I've already got them written down. So, I'd say the least scary is the bad breath one. That's what I said also. Halitophobia. Yeah, halitophobia. Some people have bad breath, and it's fine, and you got to just be with it. Sometimes you are- Just like uh, brush your teeth, eat a mint- I would say even sometimes you are dating somebody who has bad breath and you kiss them and you're like, oh, but it's like, that's not going to hurt you besides your feelings. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's scary. I'd say it is uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you have to deal with somebody else's bad breath. I guess somebody else's bad breath is more scary than if it was yourself. Absolutely. Ro Roxy, what did you have at number four? Number four, it was papaphobia. Fear of the Pope. <laughs> Okay. When am I going to encounter the Pope? When does he ever impact my life at all? His presence doesn't loom over you? He does not. I guess mm. maybe that's growing up not particularly uh, Catholic. <laughs> Catholic is probably part of it. Okay. Uh, I'm sure it would rank a lot higher for somebody who is Catholic, maybe. I had it at number four, radiophobia, the fear of x-rays. Oh, okay. Because I don't feel like, listen. But it's also radioactivity. Yeah, radioactivity. I don't. I don't see that that often. I get. I, I, I mean, the fact that I deal with X-rays every six months to a year at the dentist's office, like that, doesn't scare me. They throw a lead blanket on me. It doesn't matter. I'm safe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your uh, your face being irradiated is totally totally fine. The thing about <laughs> the thing about radiophobia, Roxy, is that the Incredible Hulk is fiction. Yes. Therefore, 
Uh-huh. There are no consequences to radiation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure uh, everybody who's hit by a radioactive bomb can attest to that. Yeah, they love it. <laughs> yeah, especially when those plants melt down, too. Such a good time. <laughs> what did you have at number three? Uh, I had radiophobia at number three. You had radiophobia? Three. Yeah. Because you don't like getting bombed. I, I do not like getting bombed. <laughs> it, is, it is bad. I'd say the... Uh. the Times of like having to interact with it. If you have to get x-rays at a doctor's office, probably not that often. Yeah, that's reasonable. Probably more likely at a dentist's office, honestly. And the thing that I hate about that is the janky camera they put in your mouth right. always hurts my gums. You gotta, like, it's not put the radioactivity. Put their, like, these like little plastic blades that you have to chump yeah. down on. <laughs> yeah, it's always the worst. And then if you move even a little, then they're like, okay, now we got to readjust it and do <laughs> it again. Hate those. Uh, at number three, I had gymnophobia. Okay. Fear, Fear of nudity. nudity. Uh, and this is where we start to get into, like, I think legit phobias. Like, if you just saw a nude man walking around, like, that would be disconcerting. Like, he yeah. has abandoned all societal pretense. He could kill me if he wanted to. Yeah, there's probably something not right with them if they're doing that. <laughs> My man does no, no longer cares about the laws. He does not. I'd say also, if you yourself... Every time you get changed in the morning, every time you take a shower, you're going to be naked at some point. So if you're right. afraid of that, I can't even imagine, like, would you just not take showers? Would you just not change your clothes? <laughs> right. I guess developing this phobia is almost scarier than the, the potential fear of the phobia itself. Because then if you yeah. can't be naked, you can't shower, you can't have sex, you can't go to the locker room at the gym. And have some guy say hi to, at you. <laughs> you can't be said hi to my priest. <laughs> And that's why I put that at number four for me. Mm. Gymnophobia, fear of nudity was number four for me. What about you, Mikey? You mean number two. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Number two. Sorry. (laughs) We're going backwards. Backwards. Uh, What a fucked up ranking. (laughs) Yeah. I'm super on top of things. (laughs) I put it number two, acmophobia, the fear of sharpness, knives, and needles. All right. Because that is uh, very scary to get sliced open. Yes, I think it is. I mean, that's I that that is my number one ranking because I thought it is mm. scary. I just feel like I just feel like it's not like a a killing blow. Like I don't know, getting poked mm. or sliced open. It, it's not the kind of thing that would kill me ever, and therefore I'm not as afraid of it as I am afraid but of it- my number one worst fear, the Pope. <laughs> I just realized, like, wait, which one hasn't Mikey said it was the Pope? The Pope one. Okay. Explain to me your fear of the Pope. Pope is a terrifying man because he wields so much influence over such a large swath of people. He has caused, Mm. I think we could point to, some tangible harm in society. Yeah, I guess. I wasn't thinking. Our our current Pope, as far as I know anyway, is more progressive than previous popes have been. So I guess I wasn't really thinking about- They're definitely getting uh, better. Historically, how <laughs> awful it's been. Uh, yes, I think you made the right choice. But yeah, even if the man's brain broke and he was just like, God wants us to uh, uh, shoot all of the lions. I'd be like, that's fucked up. And a bunch of people would do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, terrifying beyond belief. Yeah. So I'm afraid, <laughs> of the, I'm afraid of the pope. Knives, I feel like I could get through. I mean, what, what if you wanted to cut an apple? You can never cut up an apple again. That's another one. It would be a hard fear to have. Yeah. A lot of sharp Needles. things that you don't realize. Can I tell you about the sharp thing I ran into last night? 
Sure. You <laughs> ran into it. Are you okay? <laughs> well, I just like uh, found it. Okay. And my car, the like the, the door handle, like when you're inside the car and you open up your, your car door, the handle was like a faux metal. Uh-huh. And then the, the like plastic okay. metal covering had started to peel off. So I kept like mm. kind of like scraping my hand. And so I just peeled it off. And so now I've got like this super cheap plastic looking door handle. But I didn't have, like, a trash or anything to throw the pulled-off, like, faux metal. So I just put it in my pocket. And then oh last God, night, <laughs> I was just out and, like, reached into my pocket and just, like, stabbed myself with this fake metal <laughs> plastic <laughs> container. And I was like, yeah, you never know when you're going to run into something sharp. I would not like to have acmophobia, but papophobia, can- we should all just have. We all just have y- Yeah, I think you. I think you made the right choice there. But can I can I ask you to do something for me, Mikey? Yeah, what's that? Don't put sharp things in your pocket anymore, please. Okay, <laughs> I care about you. Don't let, put sharp things in your pocket. Let me just pour all these thumbtacks out of here. <laughs> okay. See. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, here he is, Demon Bot, stomping on over. No. Okay, what's he gonna say? Mikey and Roxy, next week we will return to the works of the legend John Carpenter with the Lovecraft-inspired 1994 film In the Mouth of Madness starring Sam Neill, Jürgen Prakno, and Julia Carmen. If you do not, your souls will be forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. All right, Roxy, next week In the Mouth of Madness. You ready to lose your mind, Mikey? I hate my mind. Go mad? Well, then you get to lose it. I'm I'm (laughs) not just going to lose it. I'm going to throw it out the window. (laughs) Okay. Can't wait. So In the Mouth of Madness, we'll watch that for next week. We'll keep our souls because, hey, I don't know about you. I've grown attached to my soul. Me too. You know, it's how I get around as far as I can tell until I die. Then I'll figure out who (laughs) (laughs) was there or not. (laughs) I like the description of your soul as like a little man who's inside you. It's like he's like piloting you like a mech. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's how I get around. Uh, isn't that in everybody's brain? Is it just me? It's just me. <laughs> Roxy, let's, as we do every week, make a bet about this movie, In the Mouth of Madness. Okay, Mikey, I'm going to ask you, In the Mouth of Madness, how many book titles are mentioned? And this is going to be like fictional book titles that exist within the movie. Yeah. And I guess if they bring up, like, say, a separate piece, we could count real book titles, too. Yeah, sure. I can okay. I can do like a sub count for it. Uh, I'm going to say three. Okay, I'm going to say ten. That's so much more. So <laughs> It really is. So we'll see. Are they uh, just going to list a bunch of book titles? I think like you see a lot of posters and things and stuff on the shelves. Mm. I think uh, we sh- are we going to say like reads a lot? book titles we see or book titles are spoke that are spoken aloud? I think I think it will be ones that we see as well, because like okay. Sam Neill might be reading one of the books, but he's not going to say like, this book is titled mm. this. Oh, so this <laughs> you know? movie doesn't have the scene that most movies should have where a character sits down and looks into the camera and lists every book he's ever read. <laughs> I mean, he might. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I think more movies should do that because then because then you really get a sense of who that character is. You're like, oh, wow, they read a separate piece. Cool. I know that that guy uh, understands the looming threat of World War II. <laughs> sure does. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. Whoever is closest to the number of book titles mentioned in In the Mouth of Madness shall be declared the winner. 
The loser must catalogue each literary reference in the film and list Wichita Stephen King and Wichita H.P. Lovecraft. Roxy, we've been mired in the horrors of the Vietnam War, of demons, of hell, of angels, of push, pull, fire, sons, dying. Let's talk about something that's making us happy. That sounds wonderful, Mikey. Let's do that. Sound good yes. to you? What's been making you happy this week? Uh, well, I guess... Technically, it wasn't last week, but before, or it happened in between we recorded, so I'm going to count it. <laughs> I got to visit my family for the first time since the pandemic hit, Aww. and technically since, like, before the Christmas before the pandemic hit, because that was the last time I got to see them. Oh. So uh, I was really happy I got to visit, see them, hang out with my cat, drink a lot of margaritas, and eat a lot of guacamole. Cool. <laughs> Avocados are really cheap down there. I mean, I guess avocados are cheap where you're at too, Mikey, because you're in LA. Oh, yeah. But uh, in Portland and then even further where my brother came down from Alaska, it's astronomical how Mm. much they cost. I'm glad you got to get some guac in you. Yes. Guacamole is great. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I have a food one also. What's making me happy this week is the cauliflower rice from Chipotle. Ooh, what? (laughs) Okay. It's, it's gone now. It was a seasonal item, but like oh, I was well, great. Okay, I was well, getting it so out. often. Roxy, it was so good. I don't. I, this sounds like an ad good for, for sure. But yeah, well, they good. can't sell it anymore. So that's very true. It's I guess you're okay. A useless ad. <laughs> yeah. But it's like low carb. It's spicy. It adds this like beautiful spicy. texture to ah, so good. Total okay. game changer. I can only wonder what terrible fate will befall those at Chipotle who had to sell their souls to make such a rice exist. Oh, okay. So from ill-gotten means. No wonder. The spiciness is people's souls, I bet. Yeah, no, that's uh, uh, sprinkled sins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On top of the rice. Spicy. (laughs) Mikey, do you happen to know what they do with the bodies after they remove the souls for the seasoning? Asking for a friend. Roxy, each week, DemonBot hires a new monster to guard the trapdoor that leads to this scary basement to keep mm-hmm. us from escaping. But each week, we still escape. How do you think we should get past the guardsman of the basement this week? Yeah, do you get a good look at him? Do you see her, them? Here's what I was thinking. Okay. Let's just ask plan? whoever the guardsman is how they're doing. Let's just try it. Okay. See, see if that, see and then... Happens. Then we ask to leave, or we just distract them, or bore them so they fall asleep, and then we run away, or Let's just see, become friends, and then they'll do get, us a favor. I'm trying to get over my anxiety, so I'm trying not to plan too much. I'm just going to see what happens. All right. So you're you're going to help your anxiety by talking to some sort of unspeakable monster right. that uh, wants to stop you from doing what you want to do, from specifically trying to game plan out too far as to what will happen. So <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm just going to open up the trap door. I'll- I'm going to stand behind you for this plan, so go for it. <laughs> hey, it's a simpering wildebeest. Oh, that sounds kind of sad. Are they okay? <laughs> Maybe we should ask if they're okay. Hey, hey, uh, simpering wildebeest. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Have a nice day. Oh, that was easy. That was easy. <laughs> we should try that more often. You have a nice day, too. Take care, buddy. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>